Good afternoon, good evening to everyone around the world. Just want to let you know I took off a couple of weeks and preparing for the new season. And while we're in the middle of summer, I've been knocking on doors and checking everybody out. First, I want to thank everyone for reaching out and starting to follow us on TikTok. I was against TikTok. And not because I'm an older fella. It's because when I hit the thousand mark or whatever it was, a couple thousand about a year ago, they decided somehow, some way, just to cancel my account. So I became, it was anti-TikTok. So once again, thank you, everyone. We've been pushing the trial stories on TikTok, and everybody's been coming up and loving all the videos. And we're giving you flashbacks of some of the older shows and of course, follow us on YouTube and True House Stories and all that good stuff. It has been a very wet summer, hot summer in New York. Also a very ugh, yucky summer so far. It's one of those summers you just want to go get it out. And you know what? All winter we wait to get to that point to wish when it's going to be hot again. And here we are. It's hot. And you're going... The sky is gray. It's dark. Eh, whatever. So, welcome to True House Stories. This week, I am Lenny Fontana coming out of New York City. And we wanted to go back to England to a Manchurian... Oh, so says, I, I said Manchurian. He's going to correct me. It's Manchurian area. Manchester. The area which I love. In the north, those who remember the, the the Manchester movement, I'll give you a little story about that real quick. There was an album that came out, Sound of North, that was a big record called Voodoo Ray, and that record was being rocked hard, hard on the underground scene with a guy called Gerald. Record came over to America with Tony Humphreys when he. He brought it over and he started playing the record. And people started to really lock in to Manchester in that area because Hacienda was, you know, really doing his thing. Grand Park, Mike Pickering and the whole movement. It just became a phenomenon. And a lot of guys, as we know, bridged off of that. And this gentleman right here I'm going to bring up is one of those fellas that has that history having his labels, uh, Looking Glass and Mad Hatter, working with defected main labels and doing this for decades. Not like he just stepped in. People may think he's brand new because they see brand new hot defected record stuff coming out with his name on it, and they don't do so much research. But those that know in the game know this fella has been around the block and a few times and back and around, and he's got stories. He's got real stories that that it touch and they make sense. And a lot of times they're wise stories to how you can look back at different things of how things are today to what they were yesterday. So without further ado, I like to bring up Mr. DJ Nick Hussey. Hey Lenny, how you doing brother? How are you? Hello brother? from Manchester. Mancunian, it's Mancunian. I love it. I love it. You see, corrected Mancunian. The Mancunian. Yeah. See, I have Mancunian friends. I have Rowetta. I got yeah. 
Parky. I know yeah. a lot of people from that area that I love. Yeah. I love that area. Such wonderful. It's always been a, a huge house music city in Manchester. So, you know, from way back in the day, we, we got into it pretty early and we had the Hacienda and, you know, lots of other clubs. So it's always been on the radar, Manchester, for house music. God bless you. You've it. been here how many times? So many times yourself. Oh, how many times I play Hacienda? Besides yeah. playing Hacienda, I played home. Yeah. I play all those clubs. But I always yeah, say right. the people are so beautiful in your yeah. area. We like to party. <laughs> Beer and party. Beer and party. Exactly. Exactly. Really Non-stop. Sorry? I will say that was very interesting that you had that was kind of on the dark side. So as great as you had the club scene, yeah, you also had like a mafia-run door policy going on with yeah. all those clubs. And I remember yeah. those guys. Those were like some bone-crushing guys. Yeah, they were always call me. Hey, Lenny, how are you, man? But I yeah. seen them take some guys, and it was just like, man, they didn't play. Man. It was serious. It we was we were called we were called Gunchester for quite a while. You know, we had the whole Manchester thing, but it was Gunchester because the gangs took over a lot of the doors of the clubs and you know ran all the rackets and stuff. So it was pretty hairy time at the time. But you know, at the time, it was just such an exciting place to be. Then. That, that, you know, you, you only saw that side of it if you were looking for it. You know, there were so many people coming, having great nights that it just that, that got lost. But in the end, it did take over and, you know, closed Hacienda down, closed home nightclub down, closed a lot of nightclubs down. So it was a shame, but we're a victim of our own success, Manchester. You know, it's, there's so much money to be made in clubs like that. You know, you're going to get stuff like that, unfortunately. Well, you know, off camera, everyone, I was telling my man here, I said, I yeah. want to try something a little different. I wanted to bring out a first question and then we'll get into like the, the background story of um, cool. Nick's situation. I want to hit him with this one question. What, if you could put it into words, what would be the greatest highlight of your career? It's It's got to be... Um... Every time I made a track, um, I had a club in mind where it'd be played. I was talking to Todd Terry about this a couple of weeks ago. I always, he, he said the same. He always thought of a, of a club when he was making a particular track. It would suit. But mine was obviously, it was coming from Manchester, Hacienda. So I'd had played uh, tunes played in other clubs loads of times, but never Hacienda. And I was always waiting for Hacienda. And then one, one time... The lights came on at the end of the night and I'm talking to a few people and then they played one last tune and it came on. It's some guy playing the piano and big gospel vocals. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm having a conversation with everybody. I'm thinking, yeah, I've got this record. What's this record? I'm thinking, yeah, I bought this record the last few weeks and I'm trying to remember what it is. I'm like, oh my God, it's me. <laughs> and it was that was the moment that I'd always dreamt of and it was happening and I looked in front of me. And the whole place was going absolutely nuts. There's hands in the air, all the lights on. And it was just like, it was all I've ever imagined. You know, that that's why I did it. And to see it come to reality was something, you you know, you don't, you don't really think you're going to achieve it. You always want it. But, you know, when it's there in front of you, it's just, you know, the hairs on the back of your hands, just, you know, every part of you is just elated. So I think who that's was, got to be it. Who was playing that record? That, that uh, Parky Graham was playing. Oh, it. the wonderful man himself, Grandpa. Another yeah. alumni of True House. Great yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. 
He's, so. I'll say this about him. He's got excellent taste in music. He really knows yeah. his bits and bobs, you know? He's a great guy, yeah. I used to watch him DJing, and I remember him. Um, he had Slave to the Vibe, and he had two uh, copies of it, and he was pulling one back and then playing it. This is the Hacienda. And nobody knew what he was doing, but I was watching him like, wow. <laughs> you know, this was, you know, to see a house DJ cutting it back and scratching it like that, you know, um, was just amazing the whole place was going mad but they didn't realize the work that was involved to make that moment happen and i was just like and he was just like yeah whatever <laughs> just cracking on with it so yeah he's really talented yeah parky's got you know i give him i give him a lot of credit um yeah but let's get into this a little bit about your life you know um yeah. and i always ask the same to everyone and i'm going to ask yeah. it to you you know how does music find you or you find the music where does it begin for you Take us um, on the journey, brother. Take us there. It was music was always always around from you know being young. I come from a big Irish family, so every weekend was party time. And everyone's picked up an instrument. You know, you just joined in. You know, banged a tin or you know whatever. Just made some music. Uh, my dad he played the accordion and bagpipes and stuff. And he passed when I was young, but everyone said yeah he he just picked up an instrument and he could you know get a tune out of it. So I always had that on that side. And then one side, um, my uncle, he had his, like a huge record collection. So he collected Bob Dylan and um, Van Morrison and Rolling Stones and then Tamla Motown, everything, Dion Warwick and um, Marvin Gaye. And he had this record, Marvin Gaye, um, What's Going On? And it had Mercy, Mercy Me on it. And every time I went, I must have been about 10 years old, every time I went to his house, I just put this mercy, mercy me on it and just listen to it and I, again, again, again. So I always had that um, that music from a family. And alongside that as well, coming from Manchester, I mean, the, the music that was available to me in Manchester at a really early age, we had youth clubs. So there was lots of DJs and we were like, you know, 12, 13. And... Everyone was, you know, breakdancing and there was DJs playing, you know, um, Eric B and Rakim and, you know, all, all that kind of tunes. Um, One for the Treble, David DMX, you know, all these tunes, huge. So Arnie's Love and another one I remember called Arnie's Love. So I got exposure to this unbelievable breadth of music at a really early age. And it was the youth clubs that really sort of ingrained it in me. So, you know, I lots of people listening to, you know, like Duran Duran and stuff like that, which I also listened to, but I was listening to a lot of R&B and soul music and absolutely loving it. I, along with that, the radio stations in Manchester, there's a guy called Mike Shaft who used to do Sunday nights on uh, Key 103, Piccadilly, Piccadilly Radio, and I used to record his shows on a Sunday night and I had a tape-to-tape -tape recorder, so I used to get rid of the adverts uh, and just have pure music for an hour, then go and sell them in school on Monday morning. So I was always doing my little hustle with music and, um, and getting involved in music from a from a pretty early age, really. Of course, I'm going to say this to you. That sounds to me like a, an enthusiast that was on his way to find his DJ yeah. career. But I'm not going to say you started the DJ career at that age. You probably just more soaking everything in like a sponge right no i did i started at 13. oh just, the current young <laughs> just age by accident. 
uh, I was just at the youth club that I used to go to, and I just happened to be, uh, I mean, there was no plan. I just happened to be stood on the stage next to the decks when the DJ had a big argument with the manageress and walked off. And I was like, uh, you know, having OCD, seeing all these people in front of me and the record running out, and I'm thinking what I'm going to do. So I just I picked up another record and put it on. I, I can remember the record as well. It was Barbara Fowler, Come and Get My Loving. Put the tune on, and everyone's like, I got the nod off people, and I was like, yeah, I like this. <laughs> and that was the uh, start of my very brief DJing career at the moment. It only, it's only a few weeks, and the DJ came back in the end, but it was enough to get me hooked and, like, I mean, I was buying tunes anyway, so I knew what, you know, I knew what tunes to pull out and I was pretty obsessed. But, you know, that gave me that impetus to like, yeah, that, that's what I want to do in the future. Just by accident, complete accident. So at 13, you started to get the taste of it. Mm. A lot of us back then and when we were in those ages, we had uh, here on this side of the, of, of the uh, mm. pond, we had, you know, guys like... Uh, you saw their names on their records in those days. Shep Pettibone, T. Shep Scott, Pettibone. you know, yeah. I mean, they, maybe you never yeah. heard them to play, but a lot yeah. of them were on the radio in the this area of the country, of New York yeah. radio. So if mm-hmm. you weren't old enough to go out to nightclubbing, you listened to the radio and like you did, record yeah. sets. And so, what we yeah. were trying to do is copy mm-hmm. what they were doing. So were you yeah. doing that as well with listening to the guys to, to learn how to beat match or somebody had to give you that? First, um... It's funny you say Shep Pettibone, actually, yeah, because he did, I think it was a Madonna mix, and there was like a piano solo in the middle of it, and I just I just loved that piano solo, and I played it and played it and played it. It was like a Latin piano, um, and that was another thing that I thought, yeah, I, I've got to do this. So I just bought a keyboard and just tried and tried and tried. I didn't, I didn't have any you know, musical training or any formal training. I just wanted to make a sound like that. So Shep Pettibone was one of the reasons, yeah, I did it. I mean, I was always obsessed by producers, you know. I had a, you know, Leon Silvers III, uh, Mantronic, Arthur, Arthur Baker, you know, all these people. I was more interested in producers from being a really, you know, a really young kid than than the, the, the artists for a lot of people. And I always looked who produced it and I always listened to tunes and analyzed the tunes and you know tried to break them down, which you know obviously helps a lot later on in life when I you know doing my job now. But it was just something I was fascinated with. Um I didn't think there was going to be an end product. I didn't, you know, it was a, a great plan to be a record producer at the start. I just sort of accidentally fell into that. But everything that was leading up to me becoming a record producer was you know it was pretty obvious at the time sure no i could see that and and also you had a big northern movement you know a, a soul sound which yeah. would be more categorized to a motown sound mm. even preaching yeah, exactly. coming in that was all around mm. you so it was inevitable for you to find that music mm. because it was everywhere around you from what everybody i always talk to talks about mm. the northern soul yeah and northern, northern soul, soul was huge Right. And it has, you know, mm. at the at the Wiggum Casino, you always hear those yeah. same stories. And yeah. I guess those blocks, building mm. blocks, so important to yeah. what came after. Because you guys basically carried the torch after that ended, in a sense. Yeah. Because didn't go on forever, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, Ma- Manchester was... It, it was such a 
for me personally, you know, soulful place, you know, one of the other big influences was um, this group called 52nd Street. And uh, they were from my area. And one of my best friends, it was his brother, was the drummer, Mikey Wilson, and Diane Charmaine and Tony Bowers. They all lived, you know, around the block from me. So, and they had a number one Billboard track uh, with uh, Nick, Nick Martinelli as a producer. And I was only a young kid, you know, they were like five years older. Um, and I just saw like, you know, I can do this, you know, somebody from, from around my way has succeeded and been really successful. You know, they made it more accessible, but it was the, it was the, the soul music at the time, you know, the loose ends and, and 52nd street and stuff like that was just, that's what drove me at the time. You know, obviously house music wasn't, wasn't around then, you know, um, it was just all about soul music, R and B, and stuff like that, and then later on, hip hop and house. Glad you but, said yeah. that. Glad mm. you said that because there was no house music in that time. No, no. it was what they called just just they called it R and B dance or yeah. R and B music. They didn't call yeah. it house. That was later. Yeah, a lot later. Yeah, 80, 86 onwards. But well, when it, it got to Manchester, it just it just exploded exploded like nowhere else you know you know you had adonis uh no way back and uh lack of love and um uh this brutal house and stuff like that and 86 87 you heard it everywhere you know every car door that opened <laughs> you heard it every you know every street was playing it you know everything you could hear music was playing house music and i went to other cities and they just they weren't they weren't getting it so um it was strange how it just exploded in Manchester. I'm not sure why it just exploded in Manchester, but it just seemed to. Okay, so so give us in your steps your first meeting with Mr. House Music. Because as everybody has that moment, a life change, I call it, it's like finding God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like because you never heard it before, right? Yeah. And you may have heard it, but not realize it's called that, but then you've seen it with thousands of people around you yeah. going absolutely well, mental when is this I, you know give it i um, i used to i started my cousin uh, darren darren leach he used to uh he used to dj at a club in chinatown in manchester called the i don't know club and he called me up and he said uh i'm going away for two weeks uh can you come for me djing and i hadn't djed since i was a kid at this time and i was like like 18 or 19 or something um and i said yeah sure he said i'm just away for two weeks and i went to the club and he showed me mixing actually mixing records as playing just you know st stopping and starting them so he had like i think it was like joy sims or something and he was you know pushing it forward into the next tune and i'm like what the hell <laughs> and it was mixing two records together so it was seamless and i was like whoa and that just that just blew my mind at the time. So I worked for him, uh, for his job for like two weeks. Then he never came back. He went to he went to Greece and just didn't come back. So I, by default, got his job. So that was like £25 a night, which, you know, in the 80s, was it was good money. And then this guy, um, I was a warehouse music because we had a T-Coy from Manchester, which is Mike Pickering, and Adonis, and... Um, but it, it wasn't a movement. It was just part of the tunes that you heard, you know, 
around around the way all the time it wasn't really classed as house music it was still sort of classed as i don't know uh r&b or you know I, I don't it was in that genre just sort of dance music um and i had a guy call me up and he said uh nick hussius yeah he said do you play house music so i said why he said well i want to start a house night um, but I can only play like 75 pounds a night. So that was three times more than I was getting play, <laughs> playing where I was. So I just said, yeah, yeah, I'm a house DJ. And I went out and bought every house record ever made for like, you know, like tw 20 bucks <laughs> and turned up and played all these house music records. And about three weeks later, it was just roadblock. It was just crazy. It was just um, word got around. It was a Thursday night at a place called Hamilton's in Manchester. And it was just insane and it was just wow what is happening you know what is going on obviously that was the very start of it but you know then you had records like can you jam and jason can you dance and stuff like that which just so euphoric you know we'd never heard anything like that before you'd had disco and stuff but that was sort of before our time this was our disco this was our euphoria where you just you just wanted to dance you know you just you didn't have any option but to dance and you know those chords and synths and stuff at the time and it's just as soon as i, I started playing it i was just like right yeah i mean and I, I didn't call myself a house dj i was just a dj it wasn't you know certain genres it's just that's just what we played at the time did you so realize kind of at the time started. did you realize at the time that this was all coming out of the chicago area yeah yeah we knew yeah we you knew. knew for sure right we knew yeah for sure yeah yeah we knew yeah we were you know, uh, DJ International tracks, and you know, it was you know, we had had the hot hot new tracks record, and it was you know, because um, we used to get the, uh, the the records on was it like a Thursday I think, so they they all come shrink wrapped in the record store, and we'd all be waiting outside, you know, <laughs> what what we're gonna get this week, you know, and you never knew what was going what you're gonna get, and you know, it was just just such an exciting time, you know, it was just like. I mean, obviously, I was younger, and it was like you, you prime your life, so you're exciting. But it was just nothing like everyone had ever seen before. You know, getting this shrink wrap vinyl, yes. <laughs> gotcha, of course. So, of course, I know you. You know, you, it's like everyone at that time. This music is is becoming the birth of something, and you, mm. as the artist, is becoming something as well. I mean, you don't yeah. know yet where this is leading. Because yeah. just, as they say, it's like you kind of like blindfolded in a way because you don't know well, what's the next step is going to happen. No. You know? Well, I did. I did my training and uh, there's a place in Moss Side called The Kitchen. It was like a recording studio. So I was just listening to, it was like uh, Kiss Radio or WBLS or something, some, you know, local uh, radio station, which just played uh, R&B and stuff all day. And it came live from this recording studio in, in my side called K Kitchen. And I was just fascinated. Um, and I, I really liked the sound of it. So I just gave them a call and said, you know, I heard you on on, uh, on the radio. Do you mind if I come down? They said, yeah, sure, Dad, come down. And I went down to the studio. This was, I think this was about 1986. Yeah, 1987. Uh, yeah, some around that time. And I just walked through the doors and I just looked around and I'm like, this is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. I just knew at that moment that was me. I, I can't explain it, you know. 
I, unless you've you've had some epiphany like that, it's hard to explain to people. But I just looked around and I was just I was just overwhelmed with this like, wow, this is me. This is you know, and I just spent every night. I used to go to work. I used to work uh, in an office in the daytime and try and save up money for my you know keyboards and um, and records to play at weekend and. Um, I just used to go there after work and, and tidy up and ask questions and sit there. And I, I just loved it. But at, at the time it wasn't house music. Wasn't out. It wasn't, you know, that's where, um, all, um, a lot of people made the music, you know, you, you mentioned before Voodoo Ray, that's where, um, uh, they did Voodoo Ray and the fewer tunes. Um, but everyone was doing mainly sort of, you know, street soul, call it, you know, street soul at the time. Um, and it just uh, developed into house. There wasn't any like, right, we're going to do this. It's just more and more people started coming in playing, you know, house beats. And we had um, uh, a 909, so that was the start of it, and an 808. And I had a TR626 as well and a DX100. So we always used to, you know, pull our equipment and see what we could do. And it just developed into house. It was just more and more house. So that epiphany moment, it's like walking into the church and, and, yeah. and it's like when the gospel goes, yeah. ah, and you feel that feeling, your hair stands up. It's, and, it's true. That's exactly what it was like. It was like, right. It's telling people, it's like, I found Jesus. Oh my God. Where has this been my whole life? You know, it's like, it's literally like that. I tell people yeah. that all the time. You have no idea. Once yeah. you taste that drink. Yeah. And There's no going back. It's it's, it's horrible mm -hmm. because you yeah. always want it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it it's always a, pulls you back in. Yes, it's mm -hmm. a, you want to leave it, but yet you get a little taste of that drink again. It's like, oh god, it's so yeah. damn good. You know, it's like the yeah. best drug in the world. No drug gives you that euphoric feeling yeah. which you just described. Yeah, I've because seen TV right. shows talk about this all the time. Yeah. They they show. A guy coming into like a club and he yeah. sees and they and they dramatize it. And I've tried to show this to people that never went to clubs and they don't get it. I said, until you no. really feel that feeling, you'll never know. It's like the moment you went down, the the roller coaster, and that your heart drops, that energy, just the threshold, the the G force, same thing. Crazy. You described it perfectly. Perfectly. Yeah. And yeah, that. I've tried to sort of step out of music on occasions, you know, because it's, it's frustrating. It's a hard, it's a hard, you know, it's a hard life to lead sometimes because it's, it's extremes. It's, you know, it's, you, you, you're very successful one minute, then it's difficult the, the next and you do want to leave it, but it, you just can't, you know, I sit down at the piano and just, you know, I'll sit a, a, a Fender Rhodes and just play it and uh, well, that was back in. <laughs> I'm glad you said that because that was going to lead me to my next question. As I'm watching all the gear, you mm. mentioned about all the guys working at the studio at that time, and you were getting a taste of this. Did you yeah. have any formal music training as a kid to no. work up to this? No, no formal. No, there training. was there was a well. The reason I bought a keyboard was one of them because of Shep Pettibone track. And I used to be like a roadie from a friend's band called Look Twice. They were like a jazz funk band, you know, like sort of web report kind of stuff. Uh, and they didn't have a keyboard player. So I'm like, I'm in, 
all I need to do is buy a keyboard and I'm in, you know, obviously <laughs> a lot more difficult than that. But that's when I first bought a keyboard. And I just, I used to sit there and sit there and just go over it and go over it. And I, I used to go to the pub with my friends, you know, on a, on a, um, on a Sunday and I'd be sat there with my pint just tapping away and like, you're doing that thing again, Nick. And I'm like, oh yeah. And then I used to go to church with my folks and I'd be like, my mom would be like, stop. <laughs> because I'd be playing the pew in front of me and she's like, stop doing it. And I could never stop. You know, I still don't do it. I'm always tapping things out. I hear things in my head. And I'm always trying to play it in my head and, and I'll play it with that keyboard there until in my head it's right. I know it's bizarre, but you know, that's the way I learned it. But I didn't have a clue about, you know, uh, key signatures or, you know, what I couldn't do. And I think a lot of it at the start of it, that's that's what helped me make a lot of the early house tunes I made because there were no rules. You know, I listen to a lot of the stuff now. And if you were formally taught, I don't think I would have made them, you know, because the chords are really bizarre chords and things theoretically clash. But, you know, they seem to work at the start of it. I don't know. You know, well, now a, I know there's a reason why because it's it's a lot of that stuff's written in jazz minors, yeah, and, and yeah. the vocals are out of key, so it's kind of like a yeah. coolness to the '90s sound. That yeah. that was a big yeah. thing with it, yeah. If I remember correctly, um, but yeah. notation-wise and music theory, it's against yeah. all the rules and regulations of how you do records. Absolutely, absolutely, because you know? I did go, I did go to college. After I had like uh, one of my first records out, I thought, you know, I better because I'm in. The, I was moving into the studio a lot more then, and I thought I better get a bit more musical knowledge behind me, you know, because I'm having a lot more. Um, wait, 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 wait. Why? <laughs> Why? Well, it's just something that at the time I thought was necessary. You know, I, I don't know why. I just thought that was, you know. I'm going to be taken serious as a record producer, and I don't don't know even a keys A, B, or C. <laughs> I felt a bit stupid, so I went to college, and everyone was coming in with the formal music and putting the music up there and playing this, and they said, "So where's music?" And I'm like, "I don't have any." <laughs> and they said, "Well, what what can you play?" And I said, oh, "I'll just make something up." And they're like, "What?" And I just played a bit of freestyle jazz kind of stuff, and like. Yeah, okay, you're in. <laughs> so it was interesting because everyone had such constraints. And uh, I think it taught me what not to do. So um, it was an experience go college. I didn't, I didn't last long, but um, okay. I'm glad I actually did try it in the first place. So then let me, let me bring in some perspective here. You know, yeah. I'm looking at, you know, you, you, you got an SSL desk and I'm seeing the keyboard behind you and I see an orange... Uh, guitar amp sitting right behind you. I could, yeah. I could sniff that bad boy ass, smell it. Yeah, turning with tubes. Who turns you into the studio? Because everybody gets that hand in where somebody says, "Come on, come hang out with us to look at the, you know, what you're doing and and to get that bug." Who, who Back to the studio now. Um, is vocals. I mean, vocals has always been my thing, really. Um, I've always really enjoyed vocals and doing uh, working out harmonies and stuff. Um, when I was a kid, I was always singing the top lines of songs and um, and other parts, but I didn't know what I was doing at the time. But it was you know it was training for me, um, and 
I, I did, you know, I did Sounds of Blackness and, and Jodeci and Shante Moore and stuff. And I got all these stacked vocals. And um, for the Sounds of Blackness one, they sent me the, the, the original 48 track masters from Minneapolis. Like, I think Jam and Lewis did it. So they had the track sheets and the 48 track masters. So I got to isolate all the all the harmonies and stuff. And I just I sat there and listened to it and listened to it. And I must have spent days and days in the studio and actually doing a remix, but just listening to how the harmony's been put together. And then I work with a lot of uh, gospel singers like Rachel McFarlane and Yvonne Shelton and uh, a guy really helped me, a guy called Barrington um, Stewart, a man local Manchester legend. And I just always loved doing vocals. Um, and that's what I love doing now. You know, I can do a lot of my work at home now. You know, I've got home studios. So, you know, if you need to put a guitar in, I could just plug that in. I could do that, you know. Um, anything else, keyboard, can just plug that in. But vocals, you, you need a vocal booth and you need, you know, you need you need a vibe, you know, to, singers have got to be in the right mood. I enjoy that process. I really enjoy getting the best out of singers. Um, and I, I always have done. So that's the reason that I come back to the studio now. That's what really floats my boat in the studio. That's cool. That's mm. super cool. I mean, you know, you've been blessed. Yeah. You know the difference between the golden era and today's era. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you yeah. laugh about it. You, and you yeah. laugh about it when you, I say it. Because let me say it one more time. Yeah. You know the difference between the golden era when, when there was no rules and rules uh, were made to be broken then. Yeah. Now where there's all these rules and everyone mm. is like on the cookie cutter way of doing it. Yep. yep. It's like you've got some so many options now. You know, you can you, you can get your door up and just get a vocal from anywhere you can download it from loop cloud or something it tells you what key it's in it'll put it into the right tempo it'll, it'll sort everything out for you back then you know when when i first started doing it we, we had a, an s950 so we had uh nine and a half seconds of sample time so we had to get all the drums uh that we needed apart from the 909 so any drum loops or anything we had to get all the vocals in those nine and a half seconds so you have to become really creative you know, so a lot of the stuff we did, we were, we were chopping stuff up and making it work because we didn't we didn't have the we didn't have the option of of doing anything else. So a lot of the creativity came out of that period when you're really limited and and you know you have to make things work. The other thing is studio time was so expensive. You had to make it work. You couldn't you couldn't wait around. You couldn't sit there for days on end trying different bits and pieces because it cost money you know we were only young we we're only like 18 19 you know it was difficult to get studio time so you had to get in there and make it work now there's too many options you know there's too too many vocals there's too many things and people still get it wrong <laughs> i can't understand you know people come in to me and they say oh we've made this, oh, this, no, this banger no, the track the problem is you don't have those good guys that you go knock on their door to play the the tracks at those labels yeah. to say, what do you think? Yeah. That's what's missing. But wait a minute. This is what I want to ask you again. You yeah. said there's a program now that you, tells you what key and all that is. What yeah. program is that? Uh, Loop Cloud. Thank you. So you got Loop Cloud. 
Yeah. Okay. So that's already a big step in the right direction. An AI is already yeah. going to tell you how fast the tempo of the record is, what key it's written in, yeah. and even possibly take the record and rip it apart for you. Yeah. Meaning you can on on Cubase now. You can you can just rip the stems. You can take all the stems apart. You can take all the vocals apart, and you know reprocess them do whatever you want to it with, with loot cloud you can transpose the key so say you're in you know a and you want the vocal to be in a and the vocals in c you just put in loot cloud the right the right key and it does it automatically and it's like and that's boring <laughs> a lot of music happens when you don't know what you're doing and magic happens when you know things are accidental um and that's take it's it's become more of a uh you know a, i don't know a boring process now there's not that excitement now maybe because i'm older and jaded and it might just be me but you know there's not the excitement that i used to get when i was younger because let me you've got too many options let me clarify that so basically that feeling of running to a studio like when you were 21 or 23 yeah you don't have that same burning feeling inside anymore is that it um or i can wait and take care of something on occasions else. on occasions yeah because when i'm doing vocals i love doing vocals you know i really i get a lot out of doing vocals um you know i'll 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 sing parts for the harmony for the singer and I'll say, can you sing? That? And they say, that's not going to work. And I, oh, can you, can you just humor me? Can you just sing that part? And then, and can you sing that part? And they say, no, th there's no way this is going to work. And they're like, just humor me. And then I love putting it together and looking at the face as I play at them. And because I know it's going to work. I've already worked it out in my head and I know it's going to sound great. And I, I love, you know, I love that feeling. It's, it's still the same, you know, to see the, the singer's face and they say, oh, you've made me sound amazing. So, I get the same satisfaction out of doing that, but there's not as much call for that work anymore for doing vocals because you know a lot of the the, the people I work with they come with a sample pack and they just want. <gasps> oh, I hate that thing, the yeah. sample pack. <laughs> yeah. You know why? Well, this is, I this hate is... the sample pack because you hear in everybody's freaking records now the same samples. Yep. yep. But this is the world we're living in, like. It really hurts me as my job as a producer to make a track successful. I'll hear a great track and it's beautiful. And I'll have to, I hear myself saying these words and I hate it, but I've become that guy. There's too many words. <laughs> and they're like, well, and they're like, yeah, there's too many words. I, I really like them, but if you want it to be a hit, you've got to like lose at least 60% of the words. And it's, there's no art anymore. There's no art. I can make a great record, but I know it's not going to sell. I I can make a record that I, can, I know is going to sell, but there's no artistic merit to it. Do you still believe in the same old principle that a great song is a great song, or has that changed for you? It has because the great songs never got looking anymore. It breaks my heart, you know, it, it really does because I come from a, a you know, a, a songwriting background. You know, I, I wrote a lot of songs in the past and I'm really proud of them. Uh, and now it's just, 
I mean, you tell me what what big songs are out there now. You know, there's hardly any. It's just hook, yes, hook, should... hook, hook. Well, that's they don't make sense a lot of them now. <laughs> well, you know what it was in in like back in the in the times of the eighties and the nineties into the early two thousands, the dub mixes were the big things at some of the clubs. Yeah. yeah. But everybody had mm. their handbag anthem that they would play. Yeah. You know, no matter who you were. If it yeah. was finally, or it was CC Penn, and I'm, I'm saying um, Sandy Rivera's finally with uh, Julie McKnight, or CC Penniston record, or Allison Limerick with Love Lives, like oh, yeah. that's like the you know the one that hits the heart. Yeah. But I understand that disheartening feeling that you, you're writing a great song, like you said. I gotta go in with a scissor and say, right, cut, 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 mm. cut, 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 cut. Oh, we keep that little section goes da 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 da. Put it, boy, copy paste, yeah. copy paste, copy paste, copy paste, and it's done. This is it. I I actually got asked to do uh, CC Peniston finally at the time because I was working a lot with A and M Records. And I said no. <laughs> and this, they said, "What do you mean? This will be really good for your career." I'm like, just some some records, just leave it, leave it. You know, you know. Finally, it was one of my favourite tunes back then. And I, I thought, if I can't add something to it, if I can't improve it in any way, what's the point of me doing it? You know, I'm going to listen to that track and make it worse. I don't want to do that. That's a, but lot. a lot of people will just I know take the money and do anything, <laughs> right? And just do it. I mean, there's very yeah. few guys I could say that take a record, yeah, and improve on it. Where the remix, yep, just a handful of guys yep. can do that. Not many. Yep. I've I've heard more bad than actually good, if not great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Speaking of which, I want to remind myself or just refresh my memory. Was the Hussy mixes part of DMC in the beginning? Yes. Oh yeah, my God! It was. Yeah. I'm thinking, my mind's going. When you said, I'm, yeah. "You know," I'm thinking. When you said A and M, I'm thinking, was it the tenure of Wolfie or was it under Wolfie? Steve yeah, Wolfie. my man Wolfie. Yeah, Mr. Wolf. The Wolfie, Wolf yeah. is living strong. He's strong. And Wolfie, better. Wolfie. You know, I've got, um, I've got a lot of, a lot to thank Wolfie. I still speak to Wolfie quite often, and I've got, you know almost everything in my career to, to to for Wolfie because he helped me so much. Um when I got my first Sounds of Blackness uh, track to do, um it was through him because he'd left AM Records and gone to MCA. So I get a, a phone call um in my little tiny apartment in Manchester at the time. Um and I I was doing bits and little bits and pieces and I got a call and this, the guy on the phone said Hi, it's, is that Nick Hussey? I said, yeah. He said, it's uh, Richard Marshall from AM Records. I was like, yeah, okay. He said, um, I've been giving you your name. Um, we want you to remix uh, Sounds of Blacklist. I was like, get out of town. Who's this? I thought it was a joke. I mean, because Sounds of Blackness was like, you know, the, the biggest thing you could do. And I was thinking, little old me, do Sounds of Blackness. There's no way. And he said, um, yeah. Um, Steve Wolf has given me your details. He's just left. And I was like, oh, all right, yeah. <laughs> he said, tell you what, Nick, do you have a, an AM record uh, there? I said, yeah. He said, look at the phone number on the back and give me a call back. So I said, okay. Still not really believing it was, you know, I thought it was someone on the wind up. So I, I got the number on the back, called, 
um, called up AM Records. And I said, Can you speak to Richard Marshall, please? I said, Who is it? Nick Hussey. Oh, yeah, he's expecting your call. <laughs> like, hi, Richard. And he said, Yeah, Wolfie's, um, Wolfie said, you're, you're the man to do the Sounds of Blackness. Um, so can you do it? So I was like, Yeah. And that was, the, that was the, you know, it was number one in the dance charts by mix for like, I don't know, about three, four weeks all over Europe. I so that's the one that... I remember back at that time. Shit. I remember I was very yeah. close to Wolfie. I remember getting yeah. copies of that back then and saying, yeah. Hussey's on. I said, that was a good move. I remember telling <laughs> the Wolf. Cheers. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's him. Ooh. What a guy. What a guy, you know. Oh, he's a dog. I love him. Yeah, Known forever. Yeah. I mean, he's a great, great, he's a great businessman. I mean, yeah, fantastic. Stronger than ever. Um, yeah. so because I was, you know, it's funny when you say about the era of the time, and I remember seeing mm. that the DMC mixes coming out with your mixes, yeah. a lot of stuff at that That's time. That's right, yeah. I did a uh, yeah, um Federal Hill and Joy Cardwell and uh Wow, I did a lot. I can't remember. But I also did the loved up mixes as well. So I did a, uh, under the loved up name. So that was quite a few. Um, but yeah, because I just got to pick my favorite records. Daphne Change, uh, did a few others. Yeah, so um, that was good because, you know, you just got to pick your favorite records at the time. And there you go. There's the vocals. Do what you want with them. So yeah, it's good times. I used to go to, down to DMC in Slough and stay over, stay over for a few days and have party time with... Dave Seaman and everyone in the office. Yeah, I was gonna say that's gotta be Tony. Was Tony Prince in the office at that Tony time. Tony Prince, yeah, and um, and his and, son Dan, uh, Danny, Dan Prince. Danny, yeah, Danny and um, uh, what's his his mum called? Um, Linda, oh, I, I think. Tony's wife. Uh, is it Linda? No, Jack. Jacqueline, is it? Jacqueline, yeah. Because when I brought yeah. Tony on the show, yeah. <laughs> Tony forgot. That he was supposed to be on the show that night and oh. he says i'm having wine with my wife yeah and she's saying to me don't you have something to do tonight he's like oh my god <laughs> he jumps on i gotta go do the show and we're all sitting there waiting for tony prince so i have to give tony prince he's a he's a character and i remember him running that office must have been always a party time in there with him back in the day yeah, so you've been around some good stock, my man. You've been around some good, strong pedigree people, like heavy, powerful people. It's not, you know, not many could say that, you know, and and still to be here to talk about it now. What happened? Wait, I'm sorry, Nick. Hold on. I'm sorry. Somehow you got. Oh, your mic's not connected. Something happened. Or you have to unmute the mic on your end. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as I was saying, um, not many could talk about you know being in the in the battle. Yes. And still come out, still yeah. enjoying it and loving it. You know. You've just got to you've got to adapt. You know, the thing I always liked about music as well is um, I like doing things a different way. I was never, I was never, um, I never felt settled. I always wanted to do something different and you know you know different keyboards you know different drum machines different different effects you know that's the thing that always uh, drove me um and uh, if you can keep doing that and different genres and you know different inputs that's why i really enjoy working with people because i get a, a different point of view you know the way the way they look at things is different from mine that's why i always learn from whoever 
whoever I sit next to in the studio, I always learn just because it's different, you know. So I've got a very forward-thinking way of doing things, I think. I get bored very easily. Um, I've, got, I've got, I think, what you call ADHD now, so I'm, I'm on the move 100 miles an hour all the time. And I, I always I like listening to new tracks, uh, you know, new sounds. That, that's what influences me. So I think you've got to have that mindset because a, a lot of people I know give up or you're just getting stuck in a rut doing the same same songs, the same kind of music for, you know, which we've all moved on. I mean, it's coming full circle now, but um, some people don't don't learn from stuff. I think you've always got to learn from stuff and move the times. Well, and that's going to be excited you, by it. That's going to keep you as a trendsetter. Yeah. Back, back yeah. then, your heroes of back then are different now because yeah. you're kind of a hero to some of the younger guys. So you're not looking, it's kind of hard when you're at the, the other side of it, you know what I'm saying? Of the looking glass. It's not like, yeah. it's not like you were looking in. Now you're inside looking out. It's a different, mm. it's a different animal altogether. It is. So back then when you were in your golden, in that golden time, let's just say you'd have your Frankie Knuckles and your, your parkies and, and yeah. the people crew and all yeah. that would be you would want like you said t-core you aspiring to go these are people that were in the hood right yeah. in your backyard now <laughs> looking at it from today what are you looking forward towards that keeps you going And that answer everyone tells me a lot. They just left me like, oh my God. <laughs> wow. Wait, I got nothing. You, got you could have given me a better notice for that question. Wait, wait, I got nothing to hang on to anymore. I'm leaving you. <laughs> All right, let me rephrase the question one more time. You yeah. said it correctly before. You said, you know what? The way principles of doing things now are a little bit different. They, they borrow some of the older techniques and is a full circle. Yeah. Are you still holding on to the old stuff in your mind and that's what keeps you going to implement new or are you looking towards some of the younger and newer guys to kind of give I've, you the inspiration? I've, I've come full circle. A lot of the, a lot of the, the guys having the studio now and girls as well. Um, the, the, the one I've done a, a few tunes lately, which is just a 909 and M1 piano and, you know, an organ bass line. And they're like, wow, that's genius. How do you think of that? And well, we've been doing it like 30 years. <laughs> so it's all the same sounds. And all those same sounds and those same keyboards and drum machines, they, they all want the same processing. It's, it's weird. They all want that sound. But they don't realize it's you know all been done before. So they all think you're a genius. But it's just, no, just, it's just the same old stuff <laughs> 30 years ago. But I find it amusing. But I mean, it's, it's not music's music it's not up to us to decide who's right or who's wrong you know music now for them um that's exciting and you know what it was for us back then you know music's we have our part of it and then music moves on you know i, I never like to you know look look down on people because they do things differently it is different you know and, and our time was different and i'm glad we did have our time then but you know music's still exciting it's, it's never not going to be, you know. But when you said the thing that I wanted to, to bring up, you said 
the certain sounds, the certain things that they, that we know where they come from. Yeah. And I'll say this from my own experience. Back in the day, people, first of all, if when you start to make house music and you went into a store, a yep. brand new store of of a place where sold keyboards and equipment, and you said to yep. them, "Hey, I want to buy a Roland." Oh no, what's this sound on this record? Like you play if you don't know anything. And if, yep. if you have somebody knows what they're doing, they'll say, "Oh, that sounds like a nine on drum machine." Yep. Here's the thing: at that time, when you went to ask the question, "Okay, how do I get an nine on drum machine?" Yeah, they didn't make them anymore. They were already stopped making that stuff. So half the battle of making a record, if you wanted to say copy Kenny Dope or you want to be part like Tartari or do stuff like I was doing or Victor Simonello, any one of us like yourself, you had to kind of work out what we were using to make those sounds. Now, now it's like add water and stir. All those sounds are available. Like you said, it's perfect. But here's the thing that I want to ask you. How do you know, or somebody knows, to make it sound like something we've done? See what I'm saying? That's the trick. How, how do they know? Yeah, how would they know to do that? Because back in the day, what we do is we would take the records around, ask people questions, and they kind yeah. of clue us up. I get a lot. I get a lot of emails now. People asking me what what keyboard or what preset I used on certain records and stuff made. So. Um, and it's usually the most obvious one, you know, like organ two off the M1 or an M1 piano and stuff like that, because I did a lot of, you know, early house on that. Um, back in the day, we were more limited, you know, so there was only certain, you know, certain amounts of keyboards. So I knew all my keyboards inside out. I knew every every preset. I knew every, every single one, and you know. Like I had a uh, DX100 and there was that solid bass which was used off loads. Um, and, you know, obviously, like I said, the M1 um, and a, a Juno for strings, a what, Juno 106. It just stood out, you know, as soon as you heard them, you knew, oh, yeah, that's, or maybe that was just me, I don't know, but <laughs> you just, I just knew what, what keyboard was what. Every, every keyboard had a certain quality to it, a certain uh, sound to it back then. Uh, now there's so many it's really difficult to tell because you know a lot of them sound the same but back then in the, the 80s when we started doing it you know you had you had fender roads had a certain sound you know you had your uh, m1 piano then you had an ensonic piano which had a lot of chorus on it um which a lot of people used and then obviously the 909 and 808 so you didn't really have to learn a lot you know to to know what every sound was now forget it but they're still using the same sounds we did then. So isn't that crazy? Doing something crazy. Right. Isn't that crazy? Because I've said this yeah. to everyone up until recently, until these sounds were not available. Yeah. You didn't hear any of these sounds anywhere. Now all of a sudden, you you're watching a lot of these um companies coming out with these plugins, Arturia, yeah. many of them are coming uh-huh. out and, and these yeah. boards, these like I had you know real mini moog here. Yeah. And we tested AB. It's very difficult to tell the difference now. Can't tell. Yeah, yeah. The, the Arturia ones are great, fantastic. The copies are unbelievable. You, Even you know, the Roland library. The Roland the library Roland. sounds amazing now. The Roland library are amazing, but they take too much CPU. So you know, it's they're really intensive CPU heavy. So I just switched to the Arturia one, and they're very pretty light. 
Should but if you go back into the back to the day, so like I'm in the studio now, it's, it's a really hot day. Um a day in the studio back then, everything would go out of tune. <laughs> yeah. I used to have um what Juno would go out of tune. I used to have an SH one oh one. Forget it, forget it. It'd stay in tune for like three minutes and then it was out. So you're constantly trying to tune stuff, you know. You don't have a clue how easy it is now, you know, compared to back then, you know. And then you had, you know, hum off you know, cables, you know. Then you had to find the right um, MIDI chain so everything would work in time. You had to do the drums first, and then the bass, and then, you know, because it was on a chain and things would go out in sequence, and you know, it was so complicated then. And now you just switch your laptop on, put a tour on, all good. So, in the sense of remixing. Mr. Hussey, back then you would get these R&B acapellas like a Sounds of Blackness that's slower. Yeah. And you'd have to kind of do your time stretching or we want to make it tempo that works in a house yeah. record. Yeah. What was that like for you then comparing to now? You know? Well, I, I did I did pretty well because I did a track called uh, London Jones. London Jones, yeah. And it was... The tempo was pretty slow, so the tempo was say seventy-five BPM. You know, it was an R&B track, so everybody else had naturally tried to speed it up. So you know, you go from seventy-five BPM to one hundred and twenty. That's a that's a, a big big jump. And when you're doing it, and we're doing it on S one thousand samplers, so it just sounded like chipmunks, and it was really really difficult to do that. So with London Jones, I thought about it a bit differently. So I, I slowed the vocal down. So took it from like um, 75 BPM to 65 BPM. And I just changed the beats underneath it. So the vocal sounded nearly the same, but there's a house beat underneath it. And everyone's like, <laughs> have you done it? No one could figure out how I'd done it, but I just I just changed the beats. That's, that's the way I'd done it. So... I got loads more work because everyone i was the go-to man for r and b into house <laughs> so. see i'm saying like you, you found you found your calling like out of nowhere yeah. because you slowed yeah. it down and then you double timed it which yeah. was one of the old tricks we used to do back in the day yeah now yeah. you could do create with all this technology and all this what the ais are doing that's what i was going to ask you with the ai world now yeah. You like have you been checking out where they're morphing, yeah. say, anyone's vocal from Justin Bieber to Frank Sinatra to ACDC? You think that's okay for us to be doing this? What do you no. think? No. No. No, not at all. You know, it's a it's a strange world we're heading into. You know, where where's it gonna stop? Um I sound like an old old timer now, but you know. What are you going to do with it? I, I do use AI, you know, I use AI a lot in my mixes now. I use um, Isotope, so, you know, they clean, clean things up a bunch and make uh, work a lot easier for me. Um, but, you know, we're changing the vocals and stuff. I mean, who owns the copyright to that? No, that's the thing. So now all of a sudden, you can now actually type in, because Paul McCartney just did it with uh, one of those Lost Beatle records. He needed John yeah. Lennon's voice to complete it. Yeah. And Paul's like, look, you know, it's John, it's, I wrote the song, it's yeah. John Lennon's voice morphing, yeah. and we're able to complete this thing. And he thinks it's okay. 
I mean, it's just the way the world is going now. It's not going to be. The thing is, we've just got to get used to it because they're not going to stop it now. It's it's out there, you know. You can't put these things back in the box once they're out there. How do you think it's going to go? What what do you think? I already know what I'm going to be doing. So, here's my plan, everybody. I'm going to build the new Lolita Holloway for today. You know. <laughs> That's the one voice I think we're missing in the game, everybody. Come on now. Sim okay. We were having this conversation with a bunch of producers, my really close friend, and he's like, I am going to figure out how to write this program. And I'm like, I just feel bad because, again, here we go. One last You know it's going to happen. You're taking the food away from these people. Yeah. Drake is already sued. Bieber's sued. What scared the hell out of me was when I saw David Guetta write this thing and say, check this out. I got Justin Bieber singing, but Justin Bieber didn't sing it. And we're morphing, and I'm like, this is not good. It's great, but at the same time, it's like watching the movie Terminator. It's, you know it's coming. It's, it's just what we did, though, back in the day. You know, people can look at it the same as us sampling um, Louis Holiday and, and Justin Brown back in the day and putting them on our records. It's, just, it's the same thing. It's just a different evolution of it. But we, no, we got sued, so, yeah. Yeah, I had to pay shitloads of money for that stuff to use their voice, to, to use yeah. their music and their voices. And you yeah. know how that works is once it's, once, here's the problem with that. So you do it as something where you say, okay, I'm going to do something really cool for the club scene. And then this yeah. thing blows up. Now you're in a position like, oh my God, we got a chance for a hit record. Now what? Oh, we got to go clear this thing? How much they want? 100,000 pounds? Yeah. Oh my God. And all the publishing? We, 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 did, a, we did a track, uh, Rhythm of Life, called Touch Me back in like 1990. And we sampled uh, Alicia Warren, um, a track by Alicia Warren. And at the time it was like, a, we didn't know the rules on sampling because it never been done before and some people saying oh you can get, get sent to prison for it and you know it was a bit of a gray area because it was it was all brand new and i knew that the guy that wrote it was a guy called rob manley he was at uh virgin records 10 records he, he actually wrote the track and i went to record store where i used to buy my records from a guy called ken grogan um and he said i'd already made this record and it was ready to go and um it was on like test pressing and Kenny said, oh, I've got a guy who wants to meet you. So I said, who? And he turned around and said, Rob Manley. And I was like, <laughs> and he just he, he put his hand out. He said, I love what you've done with my track. I absolutely love it. I want to sign it to Virgin. Uh, we think it's going to be a big hit. So we're like, oh, wow. Well, you know, that worked out really well. So we were, we were getting all the contracts sorted. And um, it got back to Alicia Warren. And she said, no, it reminds me of a bad time in my life. I don't want you to use it. So, so we had to not put the record out, stop the record. In the meantime, about 15 other people sampled it and put it out for free anyway. So it was just, it was just one oh, of those things. That's a disheartening thing because that's where you say, damn it, could have had a massive hit. It's happened yeah. to all of us. Yeah. But it's so still happening. Now I had a record out like about, five six weeks ago uh called uh wanna wanna be with uh me and jamie van golden and um 
Alice, uh, Alexis um, singing on it, Alexis Hall. And she played me a one down the phone like two days ago. Somebody's already sampled it and made a tune out of it and released it. <laughs> give us give us at least our time span of six weeks of having a, a, a you know a track with it out before you sample our record, not credit us and put it out That's as your own. It's like wow. <laughs> did you did you do a did you do a takedown a copy of digital takedown or no? Yeah, it's all it's all going ahead, but you know. It just blows my mind that somebody would take it without even, you know, mentioning it. You know, I would have given permission. Of, you know, I've I've done it in the past. You know, I, I love people's creative takes on. No, wait a minute. Now that you say that, I need to stop you. <laughs> this is what the problem is with the whole industry. Yeah. People don't understand the rules and the regulations of how things work. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. You send a contract to somebody, mm-hmm. they don't even look at it, they sign it. Yeah. It's a different world now. So what are you dealing world. with here? It's like, what do you do now? You tell them, make sure you look down. Oh, no, I don't need to look at it. Just They just sign it. Here you go. But a lot a lot of the, the, the guys have in the studio, they get contracts. And they've signed it. And I said, if you, do you want me to let me look at it? I've had you know, a lot of contracts. No, it's okay. We signed it already. So did you read it? No. Because everyone's so used to pressing... On their iPhone, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Nobody ever reads anything now, and no one's aware of any of the rights anymore. So, you know, God knows what's come happen in the future. These well, guys did have a big hit. You know, it's happened to all of us. We've all had hits, and then the money's just disappeared. And oh yeah, you you signed this. Do you remember? Nope. <laughs> I don't remember nothing. That's the difference there. Can yeah. you give some people advice about that? Like, where do you where do you feel? What do you think it should be done now? How do you think people should handle their business? How do you handle your business in a sense? Well, I mean, back in the day, we all had you know, the music industry was a, a lot different place. You know, there was a lot of money, and then lawyers were involved. So you know, you always got your contract looked over. Um, now. Um, who's going to look after your contract for you you know you need someone with experience you know i always try and all the the, the people i'm in the studio i always look after them you know and go through the contract and say you know scrub that scrub that um and help them as much as you can but it's difficult if you you know you're not got access to somebody like us that can advise you to say no what are you going to do where do you go <laughs> you know so, until later on, the records played on Coca-Cola commercials and Bentley, and then your favorite championship Manchester team is playing a record yeah. as their anthem, and you're going, oh, my God, I'm getting no – I'm not seeing anything. No. That's happened. That's happened, well, so many times. Oh, that's the so story fine. of decades. You hear that same story. I think it's a rite of passage in the music industry being ripped off. Oh, yeah. I mean, it ha- at the start, it happened so much for me. Um, but I just wanted to get in the studio. I just wanted to make another track. I, I didn't care about that. I, I, I just wanted to make music. I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't into it for the, for the money or the greatness. I just love making music. And... I think I was probably aware I was going to get ripped off again on this one, but I don't care. I didn't care. I just wanted to get in that studio and make another track. 
you know that that's my legacy all the tracks i've made not you know huge empire behind it it's it's the, the music that's all it's all ever been about me so it's basically, basically it's a passion thing in the beginning yeah. and it never, that, that never left you i can hear it that no, that heartful passionate feeling of the virtue of, i need to make a record just yeah. to make the record not make not caring about success money power mm. you just wanted to make great or you felt great that's music, it right for me and for my friends that's all i cared about and then you know playing it in a club after you've made it you know making it that day and then taking it straight and playing it off a dat machine in the club and seeing it everyone go crazy you just can't beat that feeling it's just there's just nothing like it you know, it's like scoring a goal at, you know, at Old Trafford or, you know, That's something right. like that. It's... You hear that, that sound? Yeah. That sound yeah. makes you, makes you terrible know. to go yeah. up that, right? Yeah. Let's... And you know what's coming. You know the next bit. You know, they're going to go sick. They're going to go crazy for this next bit. And you're like, yeah, wait. And then you see it and they'll go mad. And you're like, yeah, that's me done. Yeah. Score! Score! Ah, that's what you're feeling. You're not saying a word. You're being quiet. You're watching. You're taking it all in. But inside, yeah. that little guy is screaming. Yeah. We did it! We did it! Right? Over and over. Yeah. Oh, how and about this one? Because, you, you know, everybody, he, said, he talks about all the good. He talks about all the good. What about when we do so much good and we fail? And where it just doesn't happen, and he knows what I'm talking about. It's mm. happened to everyone. I don't yeah. care how big, great Quincy Jones or you are, or Chick Corea, or you know, any. We yeah. all know the same thing that happens. What's that like? You put all the energy and power into something. You put all your money, time, efforts, yeah. love, blood, sweat, and tears, and it doesn't promise. What do you do? It's, it's sometimes just. The ones that you put the most love behind, when they fail, it's, you know, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's part of you. It's, it's, you know, it's part of your being. So, and a lot of the times, one of the ones that I didn't think would be successful have been successful. And then some of the ones that I think 100% sure that's nailed on here, nailed on here, doesn't even get signed. <laughs> and you're like... All, all these years of experience, you know, what do I know at the end of the day? Music's subjective, isn't it? Yeah, it's a subjective thing. You just don't know. You just kind of, I guess, with every, you know, they'd say you can have a thousand failures, but those thousand failures or mistakes you made is what makes that one success. Yeah. You know, it's important that you have to have, in order to be good at something, you have to, I guess you kind of have to fall down and fail a bit. As you much do. as they're not really failures, they're more likely because you learn from failure it's the only way you learn yeah you just gotta kick you know get back up and do it again so from now to the eternity where are we taking ourselves mr hussey where are you taking this this road show what are you thinking about just keep on you know keeping on <laughs> just um I, I like helping a lot of young artists coming through i really enjoy that i really you know Seen the next. I've got a girl, uh, Lily Myers. She's fourteen. 
and she, she she loves coming in the studio and she's making some great tracks and you know to to see the passion in that generation that I had at that age is great that really drives me you know that I'm really lucky you're the same your job we travel a lot and we've got a lot of different friends from all over the world you know uh, that really drives me you know we're blessed we really are truly blessed to be able to do this job um, and I'm just gonna you know hold on to it for as long as I can as long as I can stay relevant the key is to be healthy and sane if you can stay sane and be healthy you can keep going, I'm healthy right? I don't know about about sane <laughs> Well, you know, everyone, you're going to have to follow him on Spotify because that's where life is now in his world. Yeah. Now, like I'm going to tell you, go buy his 12 inches. It's, you know, he works with a big stick still and he cracks that stick hard. And those records are keeping on going because he's still working with some of the best record labels in the game. So yeah. he's got to be doing something at least yeah. at minimum 50%, right? You know, because <laughs> I don't even want to say 100% because I don't know. I don't know what 100% is anymore. None of us do. You know, I, I, this is not an insult. This is not an insult. It's just, like you said, the ones you don't put any time behind sometimes go out and become standout records. And ones you put all your heart, you go, how did we miss that one? What, what happened? Yeah. Like I did, I did two tracks back in the day. Um, you know, uh, we were doing um, I'm, a, I'm a Dreamer and uh, Rhythm of the Night. And I never thought anybody would listen to them. And now every time you put the radio on, you hear these tunes. And, you know, I just thought, after they were successful, I thought, I I'm giving up. I don't know anything about music because <laughs> these are the last tunes I thought, you know, I took the work because, you know, you, you take the work. But I never thought it'd be so successful. And 30 years later, you still hear them on the radio all the time. And, uh, you know, not, not, not the most... The best tracks I've ever worked on. Well, that I'm a dreamer. That I'm a dreamer has that organ sound in it. Organ sound, yeah. That everybody, you know, at this at that time, you had a yeah. few records that were making their yeah. bones. Uh, well, Crystal Waters was one of them. That's right. Yeah. Well, I was speaking Bob to a, to do you know Stan uh, Stonebridge. Yeah, I was going to say it's going to be Stony Stonebridge. Yeah. His so sound. I, I was talking to him about this. Uh, about the whole organ sound for uh, Robin S, and he said it was he said it was a complete accident, Nick. So I said, "What what do you mean?" He said, "I played a bassline in, and I was just scrolling through sounds, and I just went on to organ two on the M1, and I was like, wow." And he said, "That was it. There wasn't any you know big plan behind it. We just it was set on the channel, and it, it was the only effects we'd had on it. It sounded awesome, so we kept it. So yeah." This is this is how these things happen sometimes. So here's the deal, everyone. We found fire and burned the place down. Oh wait, don't touch it. It's it's perfect. You go. Yeah, just leave it. Leave it be. Yeah. The trusty Hammond B3 that Korg sampled and yeah. made in the M. I know the patch. We all yeah. know that patch. I think it was called yeah. Perk Organ, if I remember correct, yeah. something like yeah. that. Perk Organ, one of those. Or it was definitely. Yeah. And you, and as soon as you play that bass line, you go, "Oh, wait a minute, that's Robin S." Yeah, it just works. It works. <laughs> I'm done. I have no more questions. Mister Hussey has taken us on a joyride. 
through Manchester, awesome. UK. Okay, so I'm going to leave this last question for you. Mm-hmm. Since you're an aspiring new record producer in the new time, <laughs> are you ever going to stop DJing and traveling? Oh, um, I know it's a thought. It's a head thing for a second. I know. I, I, I love it too much. All, all, all the parts of my job, the, the studio um, production side, the traveling side, and the DJing side, all fit into my life perfectly I, I couldn't do one without the other you know um if i'm in the studio too long i, I go a bit stir crazy and i don't i don't come out with the right music i need to go out and dj and i need to travel and the same if i'm djing all the time i get too tired i need to go back home and get the ideas out of my head so if i stop one i have to stop all of them so and i don't see how I could stop doing it at the moment. As long as I'm still being booked and still being paid, then that's, you know, I'm going to keep on doing it. As long as, you know, God bless my health keeps up, you know, that's that's the one thing that we all have to worry about. But but can you still healthy, keep up with the best? Are you still going and, and caning it? Or you said, I can't cane it. I just got to come and do the work and get on the planes because that's where you feel a slowdown. You can't, you know, it's hard to cane all yeah. night city to city to city and then like be like 25 years old jump up and go yeah i'm ready you know it's, it's just, you feel it you know it's like yeah back back in miami i'm just going to bed now and i'm <coughs> i'm getting up and seeing these guys come back and i'm like oh, i'm glad that's over <laughs> exactly because back in the day that's how we look when we were coming back like dragging our tails back in absolutely like... <laughs> absolutely and they were looking at us like we are you all right we're like yeah yeah we're all right i'm all right yeah i'm all right no you're not <laughs> what an amazing you oh this is so great you wonderful really enjoyed it you're a legend in your own time mate too lenny and you got to keep doing what you do. Just keep pounding those records out because you know, <coughs> we need quality. Quality always overcomes yeah. what I call mediocrity. Yeah. And keep guiding yeah. the next generation. And thankfully, true your stories, we're at all these wonderful people. We're just about three years now. Fantastic. And we're going to be doing some special shows coming up, and we got some great people coming on, and like yourself. And I'm just so glad I reached out and 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 heard your story because to hear it like that, you don't get a chance to really get it like this. So good on you, my friend, and we Cheers wish you that. all luck. And everyone around the world, I want to wish you all a good night. And we will be making announcements to some of our new guests coming on. We're going to take a momentarily break for a couple for another week or two, and then we're going to start heavy again. And thank you all for tuning in. Join <laughs> us on TikTok, True House Stories on Instagram, and of course www.truehousestories.com to stay with some of the past shows. And we remember everyone, we've had some amazing heavy hitters. And this show is one of those that are unprecedented to have the kind of great, great talent that we've all been blessed to hear, just like Mr. Nick Hussey. Again. Avina Zen, guten Nacht, and thank you all. Good night. Good night. Take care.